Listener Production. You're listening to Darling Shine, a podcast by myself, Elodie Pullen, and me, Chloe Fisher. A place where we ground womanhood's unspoken experiences from grief to fertility and everything in between. Join us while we transform our pain into power, encompassing all emotions ugly and beautiful. Darling Shine is your chosen family and your survival kit for the unexpected shit life throws at you. Hello, darlings, and sucked in. You're stuck with just me today. Close away. She's having a little break. Um, well, well, I shouldn't say just me, actually, because today's episode, I speak to the amazing Lucy Hone. We had such a good chat. She is a well-renowned grief and, or I'd say, resilience psychologist, actually, and she studied resilience psychology and worked in that space for ages before her beautiful 12-year-old daughter, Abby, actually passed away in a sudden car accident. So she had to, yeah, really walk her own talk and... Uh, she kind of coaches me through my grief and then I ask her questions about hers and I just found her so insightful and wise and like she made me think about things I hadn't really thought about before and like her way of dealing with grief is so um, not woo-woo at all and sometimes that can be refreshing and different for me because (laughs) I hear a lot of, you know, the universe made this happen and da-da-da-da-da. Lucy actually did a TED Talk and it outlines the three secrets of resilient people and, oh, my God, it just spoke to me so much. Like, she just makes me want to get up every day and take life by the horns and just give it a crack, honestly. She's freaking amazing. Everyone should go and watch her TED Talk. And, yeah, she also has a book called Resilient Grieving. Yay, so let's welcome Lucy on. One of the really funny things, Elle, about being a resilience practitioner or pracademic researcher, whatever you want to call me, is that we can't spit the dummy when shit happens and things go wrong. (laughs) We just have to, we're real not perfect is our mantra. When shit hit the fan and you lost your little girl, did you just feel like you had to kind of eat your own words? Like that just must have been so confronting. Yeah, not eat my own words, actually just um, draw on everything I'd learned and been taught. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and be on the other end of that. Yeah, it was full on being on the other end. But I'm pretty kind to myself and it's like, well, I can only do the best I can. All I can do is, you know, manage to get through each day. And my, I lowered the bar to the extent that my only goal in life was mainly functioning, functioning when I could. Yeah, just getting through each day, hey. Yeah. Yeah. Each day at the start just seems like a fucking, like, climbing a mountain to get to the end of the day. I just remember being like, I don't know how I'll get through this day. And that is exactly, I remember once texting my sister to say, every day feels like you climb a mountain. Yeah. And then every next day you're at back at the bottom again. <laughs> like, how exhausting, you never get anywhere. There is no progress. So exhausting to mentally. And everything, physically. Um, my hair fell out. Did your hair? I'm not, oh. not clumps, but like every morning I would wake up and just find all these strands of hair on the pillow. My hair's falling out now, but it didn't earlier on. But I reckon I really, really, truly am, am really only starting to properly grieve now. It's been three years. Like I reckon at the start I was just in that like mm. climbing a mountain state. Like I Survival was like, mode. Just 
one foot in front of another, like I've just got to stay alive vibes. Yeah. And then I kind of just like just made everything so hectic and busy and just like got through with distractions. Yep. And now I'm finding I'm still crazy busy, but it's like, I don't know, I'm finding everything like I just can cry all the time now. I'm so much more emotional. I'm so much more sensitive. You're letting it in. Probably like everyone assumes that I'm sweet now because it's been three years, but I'm like not sweet. I was sweet. I I feel like I was sweet the last three years-ish. And now I'm like, oh my God, now I'm kind of like finding it difficult. But I know I'm so fine and I'll get through, but it's like the grief's hitting later. So one of the little known things about grief is that really at the heart of it, it's all about making sense of what has happened. And I'm just going to caveat that because there is no making sense to what has happened to you or what's happened to me and no doubt lots of your listeners. But what we do know is that when you lose someone you love, your entire world is smashed apart. So everything you understand about the world is dismantled. You know, all your core beliefs are shattered and threatened. And so what I mean by making sense is that over time, as we grieve and we relearn to live in the world without them here, what we are doing is slowly, piece by piece, putting our life and our life schema, we call it in psychology, you know, the way that you, your life story, we're slowly piecing that back together. And that is probably what you're confronting now is the, you know, so what does this mean? And can I live in a world that is so fragile and that makes me feel so vulnerable and that can change in a second? And it's almost like this guilty feeling of like everything actually is so kind of good in ways and put together. And I'm like, wow, how? I didn't think it would be possible to be just doing this normal living living thing yeah. without him, like running my house, kind of paying the bills and doing all the shit that he used to do for me, yeah. for my kid, and he's not here. And I'm like, yeah. how can I, I do that? I almost feel guilty. Like I'm so proud, but then the more proud I am of myself and stoked that I've done it on my own. I'm like, I just feel guilty, but I know he's... Be so proud of you. I know. I don't know if he, if you're spiritual at all. Like, I never was at all. But I'm like, I know he's making this happen for me. Like, he's provided me with this. Like, <laughs> See, I, I, I would challenge have, you on that. I, I would don't seriously would challenge said, you on that and say, you, regardless <laughs> of what we think spiritually you have put your life back together and you've done it maybe for him because of him and the belief that he has in you, but you have done that. Don't, you know, I really (laughs) want to challenge that. I honestly was such a pussy before. I wouldn't have had the courage to like, you know, start my own business or do things like public speak or do anything like this and I and this was so his thing that he would do like he was okay. a great talker and you know and I just I, there's there's no way like I can I don't believe I'm doing it on my own obviously I have Chloe but I just think he's like it's made me really believe in that he's like making me do this which which I fall back on as my like it's okay that I'm doing all this because yeah. he's making it happen maybe that's my like belief system now because yep. Otherwise, I do just feel guilty that I'm like 
kind of sweet. Yeah, but there's so much guilt. So many people feel guilt in their grief and very often it is because they worry that they're doing too well or they're not grieving appropriately or they're having, you know, good experiences and they feel guilty that they are getting to see things, do things that their loved one can't do. And actually one of the things that we do a lot of work in, so we run a live grief course um, and we cover emotions, you know, or how you deal with that emotional ambush, the grief ambush that comes from nowhere, but also the importance of all of those positive emotions that we have. And as someone who is, my experience is resilient psychology, that's my field, there is amazing research that shows that we have positive emotions for a reason. You know, they are really important for helping us adapt in a crisis and adapt in bereavement. And not only are they common, that's one of the key research findings, is that people do experience good moments of hope, inspiration, pride, serenity, gratitude. You know, these are some of the positive emotions, even in our darkest days. And so I I hope anybody who's listening takes that on board, that if you are feeling those things, there's nothing wrong with you. It's actually incredibly typical to feel those things. And actually, we want to amplify, not quash them, because they give you a much-needed break from all of the negative emotions, of course, that grief, that abound in grief. Yeah, we deserve that release. Yeah. I um, When I watch your TED Talk, by the way, everyone needs to watch your TED Talk. I'm, I'm assuming you can, you can just Google Lucy Hone TED Talk. It is, you are so amazing, honestly. And um, you spoke to me so much, especially when you were just talking about living and grieving at the same time and how, yeah. you know, lots of people can't do that. I think grief or when something crazy happens in one's life and everything shatters, it defines them and they just kind of, you know, could just become this sad person forever now and like that's just them. And yeah, like I guess what we were just saying before, it comes back to that like I I am functioning, you're functioning, we, we are yeah. able to live and grieve at the same time, simultaneously have really bad days but then find joy and yeah, it's always just... Um, yeah. And do you know though that actually only 15% of the population experience what we call prolonged grief disorder? So actually that ability, capacity to be able to live and grieve at the same time is very common. Most people get through their grief without needing any kind of professional or medical help. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with those, but, you know, I think it is a message that doesn't get out enough that actually this, this, it's in our DNA, you know, coping with all kinds of traumatic events. The most common response to potentially traumatic events is resilience. And we can get through all manner of terrible times using what we would call ordinary magic, pretty ordinary processes, you know, leaning on your friends, humor, bit of optimism, pragmatism, you know, all of those things. And I think too often grief is over pathologized, medicalized. You know, people think that you must get help and there's something wrong with you if you are actually getting on with your life. And so that's a really important message that I want to make. So most people muddle through and you've done that. 
I'd never thought about it that way, but it is so true that you people, I think it's like expectations of others. They kind of, mm. like you see them kind of come to you and just look at you like, why are you fine? Why are you happy? Why are you laughing? Like they don't say it, but they just expect you to be this fucking mess. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's just, it shouldn't be surprising that we can live and grieve at the same time, but I think maybe it's just like society's yeah. assumption of how we should be after like your person passes away or, or your child or your, you yeah. know. Yeah, there are real pressures, aren't there? There's, yeah. Which is a really old one. You know, people want you to do well, but they're also can be quite critical and worried about you if you're doing too well. Um, and I yeah. remember some girlfriend, I went away for a weekend with some girlfriends, I don't know when, probably let's say about a year after the girls died. And um, one of them said to me, wow, you cry so much more than we thought you did. And I said, well, that's because you're with me for a whole two days. And so when you True. see me on the beach walking, you know, or you see me you at hold work. It together. Yeah. Well, it, even if I'm not holding it together, I might just not be crying that moment, you know? Yeah, exactly. I've, I've, I've really felt you on the, when you said you're so conscious of what's helping you and what's harming you. And on your TED Talk, you were saying how, oh, sorry, it was at the end of your book and you were saying um, looking through photos is just way too painful. Yeah, sometimes. Mm. Yeah, I sometimes, like I'm at, I'm at the stage now where look, yeah, looking at photos is just way too painful. But for years, like for the last three years, it just brought me so much joy. It's just this really? crazy point that I've hit where I'm like, I can't even watch videos of him. It just feels so, so incredibly wrong that he's not here and like, yeah, I'll never make sense of it. And that's why that question is so powerful. And um, so it comes from cognitive behavioural therapy and basically teaches you to ask yourself, is what I'm doing right now in this very moment, the way I'm choosing to think, act or be, helping or harming me in my quest to get through this. And what I love about it is that it so, can be so widely applied to every aspect of our lives. You don't need to be grieving no, to use yeah. it. Um, and I, you know, I always laugh and say, yeah, when I'm reaching for the fifth glass of wine, I think, seriously, Lucy, is that helping or harming you in your quest to be up at work tomorrow? But, um, but also, you know, not... Um, taking offence from what someone said, worrying about, you know, some relationship or um, not not calling someone back. Is that helping or is it harming you? Sometimes it's helping you and letting that friendship, just putting it on pause, sometimes that helps you and sometimes it doesn't. So that's what's so clever about this question is that it can have, um, you can come up with different answers at different times. And as you're saying, you're looking at photos right now isn't helping you and in the past it did help you. So I think the real magic of this question is it puts you back in the driver's seat of mm. your mental health. Yeah, I definitely don't do the helping or harming. I don't ask that question to myself ever. So I'm going to implement that for sure. Because often I feel like if I'm looking at photos and getting sad, I don't see it as harming me because I, I think even though I'm really hurting, I'm like, you know, letting the emotions go is helping. But it just fucking straight up hurts. Yeah. And it's such a fine line, isn't it? Because we, I think people are very fearful of negative emotions and actually it's good to be able to walk right through them, you know, to let 
your guard down and feel the pain sometimes. And and I think it's well, I know from the research, there's something called oscillation theory, which means that you can approach your grief and then it's fine to go, whoa, that's enough. I'm running away now. I'm going to distract myself because I can't be this miserable any longer. So, And so you oscillate back and forth, back and forth. Um, do you find that, that sometimes you can approach it and sometimes you can't? I definitely have my days. Like sometimes I'm just hyper emotional and I just cannot. And sometimes it just it feels right. But yeah, I can't, I haven't been able to listen to his music lately. And Boom. yeah, it's, it's just like the biggest roller coaster. I, um, my friend said to me the other day, like, will, will you stop soon? Will you just like settle and let the grief sink in? Like, do you think? And I'm like, shit, are you guys still thinking that that's what's happening? Cause I, I think I'm just, I think this is my life now. Like I'm just like, you know, I'm floating in between like, yes, I'll be sad sometimes but I'm, I'm living and grieving as simultaneously and like, but I'm actually a lot of the time so happy and I'm so, like, I love, I love my life. I'm like, uh, do I, like, you guys still expecting me to stop and have this big fat breakdown? Cause I yeah. think I'm, I'm, I don't want that to yeah. happen and I don't actually think it's going to happen, but am I a weirdo? Cause it, it isn't happening or it hasn't happened. Like, no, I no. Just, I think I'll just keep living and grieving, but like probably more so living. And in different ways. Both. Yeah. Um, in, yeah. In fact, we're about to run this October a new course called Grief and Growth. I can't can hardly say that. I always go Grief and Growth. Um, <laughs> and maybe <laughs> you should come on that because that that's all about, that's I would pretty love much to. targeted at people who are, you know, a few years in, done all the really heavy lifting of coping with the emotional challenges and the relationship breakdowns that occur, you know, that isolation and loneliness you feel at the beginning of your grief. And then it's much more focused instead on what have you learned? Who are you now? Identifying your own strengths and how you use them in your everyday life. And also um, we'll be looking at post-traumatic growth. Have you ever heard of post-traumatic growth? I've heard of it. I haven't delved into it too much. I feel like it's something I should really assess on myself for sure. Yeah, well, I th- it's lovely to notice that you've changed. And I remember, so I, tr- I trained with Marty Seligman, who is probably the most famous living psychologist. It, this is in America. Um, and he was telling us all about post-traumatic growth. And then I read some of the literature. And one of the definitions that he, I remember him saying to us that you're better, the people who have got post-traumatic growth are better off after the trauma than they were beforehand. And I remember pushing back on him saying, Marty, of course, I'm not going to say I'm better off. I mean, I'd have Abby back in a heartbeat. A hundred percent. Obviously. But, uh, but what he means is on all those psychological outcomes that you can measure, then you're actually doing pretty well. And so, yeah, there are different dimensions. Common dimensions of post-traumatic growth are that you reevaluate your relationships so you really look at your friendships and your yeah. relationships differently. What you mentioned earlier on, the very typical characteristic of post-traumatic growth is people saying, I am so much stronger than I ever thought I could be or I would be when faced with this scenario. Yeah, And I think that's kind of what you were demonstrating earlier on when you said, you can't believe that you're doing all this and that chumpy you're channeling your inner chumpy, you know, he's helping 100%. you. 100%. Do- 
And when people say that, I think you would do the same thing. Trust me, like yeah. you don't have, you don't really have another choice. Like you'd be so surprised what we can do. Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? And actually, um, it's a funny thing, isn't it? That in some ways you don't have any choice. You have to yeah. survive. And we see that a lot in the resilience literature that people talk about having a survivor's mission. You know, I just didn't have a choice. And yet, would you also agree that grieving and living through any form of adversity actually is pervaded with choice? Like in the micro moments of your days, you have to make the choice to live day in, day out. You have to do things to keep you going. Um, yeah. However tough it is when you're climbing that mountain, that's because you've made all of those micro moment choices day, you know, hour by hour. You do. You have to make, you have to fight with yourself mentally to just get out of bed, go for that walk, go Boom. grab that coffee, see that friend, get yourself fucking distracted and out there and just get over today. And and also getting to sleep was the hard thing. I remember just being like, how, what, how will I knock myself out tonight so I can actually sleep and climb this fucking mountain again tomorrow? Because mm. <laughs> it's so exhausting, isn't it? And I, I think people un don't understand that. Have you? No. You know, and how long, I, I used, I'd kind of forgotten this. So I'm nine years, Abby died nine years ago now. So honestly, in truth, I can't even remember. I know it was awful, obviously. And I remember some of the physical symptoms and I remember that rumination of that I never stopped thinking about her. Did you feel that too? Because that's very typical of traumatic yeah. bereavement. You just yeah. never stop thinking about him. I remember you also said this was like you're always, well, you, you said you were trying not to, but it's like those last moments is what, and I'm going to take a word out of your book because I know you said something about every single absence means nothing in a lifetime of presence. And I know he was so loved and I know, you know, he knows that and everything, like he felt every bit of love, but I yeah. always do think back to like the last interaction and I'm like, fuck, he, there was this like hilarious little moment where like he was trying to hang and stay and we were having like laughing over this stupid garage button. I was like, I'm leaving, you're leaving, let's go, like, you know. And I'm like, oh, I wish I just had like one big fat cuddle and it's yeah. like those last moments you, I do just think about all the time. But are you more talking about the moments when you like say found out or you got a phone call or like the trauma. Yeah, moments. I mean, I think so. It took me a lot a while to realize that what you and I were both dealing with was traumatic bereavement and that grief and trauma are two different things. So you, you've got the double whammy going on. And certainly in terms of any sudden death, there is a trauma around it. And part of what that means is that you have to learn to live in a world where you know that your life can change in a heartbeat and that is so hard live it do you uh, do you find that too like living with that vulnerability and yeah what do you how have you how do you manage that out I definitely think of everything in such a new way now I just know how fragile everything is and I think of fucked up things like I feel like sometimes this must be where movie producers get crazy ideas from because I'll just like look over at my dog or my baby and think, you know, that table could just fall and then crush her neck yeah. or like just do something like, I just think of how just shit can just happen in a minute or just like really rogue things that are not going to happen like at all. And I yeah. just have yeah. this weird like vision or fear in my mind that something will happen, I guess. I, I'm sure that's probably so normal, but it's yeah, like... that enhanced vulnerability is really very 
typical of traumatic bereavement, but, you know, just afterwards of just, and how do you, I don't know about you, but I learned to deal with it in the end because I had to have a plan in my head of how I was going to deal with that because we have, at the time, our boys were 15 and 16 in, you know, that year after she died. So at 16, the eldest started driving on those and she'd been killed on a backcountry road in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and our backcountry roads are pretty bloody terrible. That must be so triggering when the boys started driving. It was so hard. And in truth, I don't like talking. It's their life and I don't want to talk too much. And they're 25 and 23 now. It's It's, fantastic age, the best age. Um, But it was, so I used to tell myself that um, I was, unless a policeman was standing at my door, then I would assume that they were okay. Um, Yeah. And I used to do a lot of that sort of bo- either box breathing or that inhalation, longer exhalation than a yeah, and an inhalation. And um did that really help the deep breathing? Yeah, so you're meant to do um this I've just seen a research paper someone sent me last night that a good sigh is really good where you just go <gasps> I love And did you ever do that? Because I found myself doing and and we've had triggering events since we had a terrible mosque shooting here in Christchurch in 2019. And you lost your mum. I lost my mum years ago. And my sister was in the Kaikoura earthquake in 2016, lost Um, their home. And then, you know, pre-COVID, I found myself, I think it's amazing that your body knows kind of what to do. And so I've often done that kind of sighing of going, (sighs) like almost like I'm trying to get breath more, breath, which is exactly what the physiology is. Isn't that funny? Breathing Mm. really does work. Yeah, and it's so literally alive. And don't you think that we we tend to um, diminish it and not really believe it because it's just too simple? A hundred percent. I know that I don't breathe properly and, yeah, big sigh definitely helps me. But I I definitely want to do some breath work that you're talking about. Uh Um, I'll send you the research paper and someone can – I'll send you a summary of it. That would be even better, That would be great. Um, That that is my job after all. So um, I'm a pracademic, which means, you know, basically I'm a practising academic researcher. My job is to look over all of the research findings, be on top of the latest findings, and then hopefully package them up to be helpful to people in the real world. So um, You would be helping so, so many. I was just thinking back to that post-trauma growth. Yeah. I I feel like, and yeah, when I, I think I sometimes don't realise how much I have grown, but when I, you, you said something about, you know, you assess where you're at emotionally and like, I would never, when Trump was alive, I would have never thought about things too deeply or thought, how am I feeling? Is my energy okay? Am I, am I feeling anxious? Is, how's mm-hmm. he going What's the energy of that person seeming like? You know, I wouldn't have really read the room yeah. properly or like asked myself how I was. I would just like really just float by each day, just going, oh, this is just life. And now I'm just so in tune with definitely with myself, but mm. always reading mm. my friends and people are like, you know, the chick that serves me coffee or whatever. I'm I'm just like always kind of naturally not even trying to yeah. gauging if they're okay Be. or like do they need a hug or so that you know. greater level of self-awareness and greater levels of empathy are you know pretty typical and I think 
you know, death changes us, doesn't it? I think I think it was one of the Gibb brothers, probably Barry Gibb, who once said many years ago, there are two types of people in life, those who have lost someone and those who haven't. I mean, it is such a defining moment in that you do view life differently after you've lost someone that close and in a traumatic way like you have. It definitely would have made made me such a better friend to my friends now and mm-hmm. such a more open book in that or like a better listener listening to other people's problems and like having so much more empathy and wanting to help others more. Like I was probably like yeah. just a selfish friend before. Who knows? But it's just crazy how much such tragedy can yeah. just change us. And did it teach you, um, I'm off, one of the questions I'm most often asked is, you know, what can friends and family do to help? Did it teach you to ask for help and accept help more? <laughs> I don't really ask too much, but I definitely accept it. And it's a hundred percent like I'm just so, yeah, I think I'm just I used to just be like, no, 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 all good, no, no, don't, yeah. don't, don't, don't make a fuss or even like wouldn't accept just like a compliment or something. Just like, no, 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 I don't deserve that kind of thing. But now just anytime someone's like, hey, can I, I'll have mini this other or I'll help you with this or do you need me mm. to do something? Or, can I pick this up for you? Or can I post this for you? Or can I do anything? I'm like, bloody go for it. Like I yeah. barely, like <laughs> I just really, I, I'm so good at accepting that now I'm, and mm. super grateful as well, but yeah, just I've definitely changed in that way for sure. Yeah, and, and it's and essential, isn't it? And it is. I'm, you know, one of the standout findings of resilience research is that nobody goes it alone. And one of the, I think, real challenges of bereavement is that it is a time when you absolutely need people to fall back on. And yet it is also a time where we end up feeling very easily, very misunderstood and isolated and lonely. So much of the work that we do is about helping people identify the kind of help they need. Yeah. Because that's a whole nother question. You know, you do realise you need more than, you need practical help, emotional help, informational help. You need someone to tell you, I don't know, real estate, law, lawyer, accountant, yeah. whatever it is. And you need physical support. Like there are times where you just need someone's physical presence. A hug, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think people often, what we see with our clients is that they tell us that they've fallen into the trap of expecting one or two people to fulfil all of those roles yeah. and actually it's really helpful to break it down into the kind of different buckets of help and work out the help you need. It's so true how much just people rally around you in those times. And yeah, it's like, it's literally, you could not do it with just one or two people. Like, like, yeah, when you mentioned lawyers before and just like so many different, the admin around, the admin around someone passing away is just actually crazy. I remember like, I have like just, files that are just like chumpy mm. they're just called chumpy diet and they're just big books with just all documents and stuff just it's so much yeah I remember hearing you talk about that about cancelling all these blooming subscriptions I mean it's as you say it's just endless I still have like bills that come to our house and they're just still both in both of our names and I'm like I'm just I cannot call up and change that to just my name I just can't I'll just leave that one 
And I think that's a helping or harming. It's a really good example of is that helping yeah. or harming? And is it necessary? Like in our work, we really encourage people to notice what they are focusing their attention on and understanding that your attention is probably one of your most precious resources and that people are vying for it. People and, you know, apps are vying for it all the time. And it tends to get sucked towards the negative FOMO and all of that. So understanding, growing your self-awareness around what you're typically putting your attention on and how Mm. that translates to your well-being. And that is such a prime example of really, does it matter? If it really mattered and that was derailing you every day, every time you saw his name on a letter, then yeah, put some attention on it and get someone else. Although you, as you said, you uh, often, it has to be you because you have to be it the person. Does. You've got to like identify yourself, say your birthday, all that stuff. I, I often yeah. think I'll just palm these jobs off to mum and I'm like, no, I have to like, it has to be me. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it awful that it has to be you? It's so unfair. It is. And it's, it's so cute how it's, how so many people want to help. And when you let them help, like how much it fulfills them as well. Yeah. 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 And it, yeah, it just defines the people around you and who you want to keep near. And, but I've definitely, what I have, actually, that's one thing I, I probably have changed. I've, I've become better at saying no and setting boundaries more. Still not good at saying no, but setting more boundaries where I'm like, certain people who are draining or something, I'm like, mm. I just can't give you mm. all the time you need or like, you know. And I don't have to. Yeah, exactly. As we life often say just to people, gets too yeah, crazy. Press pause. Feel free to press yeah. pause on any relationship that is not helping you right yeah. now. Um, and in terms of attention and boundaries, we do lots of training and often with big corporates and lots of them are in financial financial tech or something. And so when I'm talking to kind of economists-like, brain-like people, I always talk to them about the opportunity costs of saying yes to something. Because basically every time you say yes to something, you don't have infinite attention and time. Every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else, some other use of that time. And I think that that kind of helps, doesn't it? Yeah, to think if I keep saying yes to these things that are sapping my energy, exhausting me and making me miserable, that I'm saying no to my own good mental health. And actually, I need to just do what works for me, hunker down. And everything changes in time. It's one of the things we hate being told as the bereaved, that it will get better in time. I hated being told (laughs) that, but it's so true. But I definitely, like, my number one thing is, or if someone comes to me and says, oh, oh my God, like, my friend's partner's just passed away. What what can I say to her? Like, what helps? I'm like... What I just hated hearing at the start was time will heal because at the yeah. time, time feels like it's sitting still. And you're like, cool, three years might help, but that's like fucking a lifetime yeah. away. You just feel like that, it, like time's it's never... It's kind of like a death sentence in itself, isn't it? It feels like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. But look, it definitely does. I heard you also talk about, you know, those five stages of grief I mean, I'll never accept. I'm sure you won't either. It's it's way too hard to get to that acceptance phase. And all those other phases, like the grief, the bargaining, the denial, they all happen in different orders for me. Like there's 100% no rule book to grief. It's not linear. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a fucking, it's a clusterfuck. It's a, yeah, it's a complete mess. And actually there is really good evidence showing that we don't go through five stages of grief. You know, that that actually that model first was conceived by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross for those who were anticipating their death. 
so for oh. people who were dying. But even, and then they transferred them to the bereaved at some point. But I've looked <laughs> at all of the evidence and what the evidence shows is that most people don't go through those set stages and that actually our emotional landscape is so much broader than just those. And it doesn't end with acceptance. I mean, actually, you say you haven't accepted it. You know he's not here. I I think we got to acceptance in the first minute because it was like, well, the, yeah, pol- just- the, the policeman's talking to us. I mean, clearly she's died. Yeah. He's not making it up. I think the acceptance thing... Yeah, it's like a fact that you know is true yeah. now. They're gone. But I think the acceptance thing is that I'll never make sense of it. Like it yeah. will not make sense to me and be okay ever. Yeah. Like it, that, I won't be like, oh, that's so fine that that happened. Yes. You know, yeah. that's that's what I, yeah, what I feel exactly. with the acceptance thing. It's just like, mm. oh, too yeah. much. And I, the other thing I feel is, I don't know about you, but the, the fact that for both of us, those deaths occurred in a, kind of nanosecond compared to the 70 years of Abby's life of seconds. I mean, that's isn't bonkers, that isn't it? Crazy. You can't make sense of that. That's the that's a, probably the thing that upsets me the most is I just think, where would Chump be now? And, oh, mm. and Abby was so young. Of course, you'd be thinking that all the time. Like, you know, she'd be at school. What would she want to do? this year. She, oh, my mm. gosh. What would she be studying? Where would she be traveling? What would she be doing? Like, I always think whose chump- shoulders would she be on at festivals is mainly what we think to be fair <laughs> oh my gosh she'd be um, having yeah I hope they're having the best time up there I I and that's the same chump was about to finish snowboarding and I always think like he was about to probably get into m- more of his own music stuff he was going to start a podcast like I'm just it it excites me so much and saddens me so much to yeah. think of I mean Sorry, it saddens me so much to think of of how excited he was at that time to move on from snowboarding, do other shit, because mm. he had huge plans and mm. was such an ambitious person, like opposite of me. He had, like, he was such a go-getter and would make shit happen. Like, he wouldn't just have ideas and not do them like me. <laughs> oh, I just would love to know where he'd be at. I'd love to mm. know where Abby would be at as well, for your sake. Like, Yeah, um, yeah. Left left university by now. She would have been down to the terrible Otago, the Dunedin Uni, where the boys went and partied hard and drum and bassed to themselves for five years hard. And like, um, is this helpful or harmful? Yeah. What we're talking about now, I think it's. I think it's. Oh, it's good. It's I think just, it's good. It's just normal, I think, to have this chat. But yeah, it definitely makes us sad. Yeah, but then I also I love being able to talk about her and, and that's another mm-hmm. really important role that um, your support network can do. You'll know this too. The people yeah. who are really good at talking about him, who feel really comfortable talking about him, who aren't afraid to say his name and, yeah. and say the and say the the trash talking stuff as well. You know, I think let's not remember them as perfect people. Yeah, it was a pain in the ass little twelve year old girl <laughs> who we were all so rude to and nasty to. A hundred percent. There's such a concept around um, when someone's died, like just mm. only painting them in this yeah. amazing paragon of yeah. perfection. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, frankly, exactly. that's BS. Complete BS. Hundred percent. Yeah. No, but mm. that's what I always try and do. When I hear, like, you know, just because I have so many people come up to me like, oh, I heard about your story, my mum died or this happened to me and blah, blah, blah. And I always try and say, what was their name? 
you know, mm. tell me about them or how old were they or like I just want to like ask them a question about them because, yeah, yeah, so many people feel awkward to talk about our loved ones that have passed and I think when you're that person, you just want any excuse to be able to bring their name up and talk about them. Yeah. But sometimes not yourself because sometimes, like I even sometimes feel like do I want to, it wouldn't be dampening me, but if I'm in a group, yeah. do I want to make them feel weird or almost dampen them by bringing up chump right now? Like, yeah, is that going to make them feel weird? And like around my close friends, I know it never would, but like, yeah, there's certain situations where I'm like, fuck, I want to say that because there's a personal joke around this or there's something yeah. funny I could say that chump would say right now or or that I remember that, you know, about him that I could say right now. And, and I have held back in times like that because I'm like, oh, I don't want to make them feel weird or, you know, yeah. I hate that. And yeah, because it's hard, isn't it? Because you also don't want to, what is the word, like diminish or pretend or or start shutting them out, your loved one, you know, Chumpy and Abby. I want to be able to talk about her. A hundred percent. And I think you 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 end up knowing the people who can tolerate that or probably do more than tolerate exactly. it, you know, welcome oh. it. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I am so lucky to have the support I have. How um, are your boys, like how, how did they get through? So, you know, they were at home for a week after she died in carnage and turmoil, you know, and... Um, they were her that, big protective know, brothers. They were, and we're um, there, yeah, no, I'm going to say we, I'm the least musical person in our family, but we love <laughs> Me music. Too. So they, um, so the mute, the funeral just, at one point I did say, you know, it does seem to have become a funeral, not a funeral. It was like, seriously, the music was so loud and they both sang for her. And so, the, you know, they were at home for a week and or two weeks and then they went back to school and then they just got on with their lives. And, you know, my training made me know that that was the right thing to do, to let them just get on with their lives. Yeah. So to really recreate as much as you can of a normal kind of environment as quickly as you can is good advice. It doesn't mean pretending it's not happening, but just getting back to regular routine. Routine. So we did that, they went back to school. And then they went pretty quickly. They After that, they both left home by 17 and were down at uni. And I I don't think they would mind me saying they definitely partied hard. Um, (laughs) And they, and I think they needed to get away from us um, and our pain. Yeah. They didn't talk about her for a long time, and and now they do talk about her more. And um, yeah, it's we have a pretty special relationship. In fact, I'm nearly crying, and that it's about the only <laughs> thing that really makes me cry now is Same. thinking about how much they've lost and um, how much she would adore them. I literally am crying for your sons right now too, and you. Because I feel like you, you feel this secondhand grief for everyone around you. Like I'm, I'm honest, always way more sad for my dog, which sounds so stupid because she's fine because she's got me. But and my mm-hmm. baby who didn't even know Chump, like, yeah. I'm, and like, I know some of his friends struggle, and I get so sad for them. And then his parents, just a whole mm-hmm. other story. Like, and his beautiful yeah. sister, his family. Like, my pain is often for fucking other people because. I know I will get through this and I just see how, like, if you just look into their eyes and you're like, oh, my God, the pain you feel is just fucking, like, debilitating. It's a li- lifelong journey, isn't it? And and as a researcher, I'm, 
I am really curious to know what that long-term impact is on them. And I mean that in a good way too, because they have coped with her loss and I I generally try not to talk too much about them. Sorry, Ed and Patty. (laughs) (laughs) And both both their girlfriends are huge fans of your podcast. Oh, no way. Hi, Anna and Selena. Hi, Anna and Selena. (laughs) Hey, boys. (laughs) Oh, yeah, and all the cousins and their girlfriends too. So they're all um, all going to end up listening to this. Oh, my gosh. Lots of love to everyone. They're so lucky uh, to have you and your wisdom. Like, this is the right, you're the the pillar and you're the the reason they're, they're getting through this. I just think, no. We're a good, messy family who've lived through a lot and learned a lot. And what we've really learned is to um, grasp life by the horns and live the good bits so much. You guys have been through too much. It's it's actually such a wonder you got into resilience work before Abby passed. It's bonkers, isn't it? That yeah. that's what I was already doing. I mean, honestly, um, yeah. Yes. And I don't even like doing public speakings and so I was made to do the TED talk so I did this TED talk the year before COVID you know and then suddenly COVID hits and the whole world's watching it feels like sometimes my life feels like it's kind of bonkers. (laughs) You were honestly so amazing can you please tell me how you got to do um, the, the TED talk? Um, so there's an amazing woman called Kyla Colbin um, who lives here and she was running TEDx um, Christchurch and she asked me in 2016 to do a TED talk and I said no way no way Kyla I can't I can't think of anything worse and then she came back to me in 2019 and said you are part of this city of the resilience of this city because you know we had those huge earthquakes in 2011 and 2012 so we lost the whole of our city nearly every building in this city has been so re- rebuilt and, you know, hundreds of people died. And so in 2019, she said to me, we are finally reopening the town hall and I want you to be there at TEDx because it's about resilience. You know, it's this moment that as a city, we are able finally to come together again in this beautiful rebuilt building. You're the so perfect So she was person. very persuasive. <laughs> and I did say to her, how do you choose people to do a TED Talk? And she said... We choose people who are up to their armpits in their topic. And I remember thinking, yep, tick that box. So, and people that have way too much on their plate and no time yeah, to do it, yeah. but they'll do it. Yeah, because you have to, I had to rote learn it. And it was, I think it's the first time I've rote learned anything. What's a, rote learn? Oh, like, like literally word by word, because you true. can't really have any notes or anything. So that, it makes it quite a challenge. But anyway. Oh, my God. Okay, well, I can't do that. <laughs> no, I didn't think I could either. Um, oh, my gosh. It was gosh. quite a challenge, but yeah, there you go. I mean, you know, to be fair, my, all of my work, all of our work at the Institute is about equipping people like mass market resilience tools so that people know how they can look after themselves so that we can reduce the amount of mental distress so for me, of course, you know, I made myself do it because that's what I care about. I'm on a mission to give people better tools for approaching yeah. and better ways to approach grief. So in the end, that's that's that motivation. So I just make myself. Yeah, you have to get over your nerves when you realize you how many people it's gonna have it's gonna help. Yeah. That's so yeah. true. Wow. Yeah. So um wow. How's your little girl? <laughs> Minnie, she's so cute. She's so like chumpy. She's so similar to her dad in looks, in her ways. Like I just, I think 
what I'm finding is, yeah, I don't know. She's just like has this little chuckle that's his. Like I can't believe. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Like she's his DNA, but it's weird that I know she's not seeing him. And yet she's still that much. Yeah, and she has his like rhythm and just his love for music. I don't know. Yeah, I've really, she's so him in her characteristics, which I'm loving. Of course, yeah, and looks yeah. as well. I think she's starting to look a little bit more like me, so people are saying, which is cute. She's got his eyes, has she? She's so got his eyes and like I think forehead. I remember Chloe saying that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Uh, I am so grateful to have finally chatted to you. I want to definitely do more with you. You've, you are freaking amazing and you're so easy to talk to. Yeah, well, honestly, that's our, our mantra is we're real, not perfect. So Denise, my co-director and I, and um, and we love just chewing all things well-being and resilience. You know, there's a real value to understanding the science and helping people figure out what works for them. I think people used to think that resilience was like some kind of fixed trait, yeah, something that you had yes. or you didn't have. Yeah. And actually that's complete rubbish. It is a capacity built up by ways of thinking and acting And it's different for everyone. So, you know, I guess that's my main message to people is find what works for you and lean into those things. Find the language that works for you. So, you know, my TED Talk, I talk about gratitude. But I actually say that I hate the word gratitude. I hate the word gratitude, (laughs) but it is so true. And no one's ever explained it the way that you did. You you explained it so well how just, and, and so many people say, think of three things, write them down that you're, you're grateful for that day. And like, I'm very like, oh, shut up. But yeah. just the way you explained it, it's like, it is so fucking simple, but so true. And we don't do it. I do not do it. I get, I get told to by everyone to do that. Yeah. And the way that it would change your perspective of each day and finding the best of the little things each day yeah. and just flip that, like, tune you know, into the good, make the positive, just that little bit more mm. than the negative that day, because yeah. you're actually having to appreciate it. And like, and don't quash it. Yeah. That's the other thing that people are, yeah. you know, negative emotions stick to us like Velcro. Yes. Positive emotions bounce off us really easily like Teflon. I so we have that. to make a little bit more effort to just notice the good moments and what is still good in your world, who is there for you, what you're proud of, who you're really grateful to. Yeah. Yeah, in the army they called it when the department I was with in America were training the army, they used to call it hunt the good stuff. Um, yeah. We've got a lurid, bright pink, um, neon picture poster in our kitchen over there that says accept the good. So find the language that works for you. You know, yeah. don't, you don't have to be doing your three blessings because frankly, that doesn't work for me at all. Uh, no, it would work if I just did it, I reckon. But it's so true. Like actively appreciate the good things. Say them out li- mm. loud. Mm. Say that was great or isn't this beautiful or thank that person or tell them I love you. Like it's so easy to just start complaining about little things that bother you. Mm, mm, um, ah, that's my, that's got to be my daily reminder. I feel like you just have so many epic one-liners and things that you would just be helping so many, Lucy. I'm, I'm like genuinely so honoured and chuffed that we've had this chat. Oh, uh, Elle, just honestly, well, let's just have the periodic catch up. To- I would love that. Chloe and I have actually realised we have a bit of an audience, I think, in NZ, strangely. like Honestly, every, every 20, 30-year-old woman I know listens to you here. It's so funny. We need to spend some more time in NZ because it's like honestly almost split half, half Aussie and NZ. Like when you look at the stats and stuff on our back end, wow. you know, on Instagram yeah. and things, there's so many Kiwis and I just bloody love that. I'm actually yeah. potentially coming to New Zealand in, 
a month. So I don't know if I'm going to Auckland, though. Yeah, we can work that out because I'm I'm off to Europe. Ah, oh, me too. Oh, there you go. Where are you going? So I'm going um, back to England to Cornwall and then I'm going to London and then we are going to Paris for the World Cup. Oh, my God. Epic. That's going to yeah. be sick. Mm. Oh, my God. See, Abby would just be so proud of you guys taking life by the horns and doing amazing things like travelling and just... It's all you can do, isn't it? You yeah. Just, but I think that for me is her legacy. When my yes. book, So the book's called Resilient Grieving now. When it first came out, it was called What Abby Taught Us because that... For me, that the publishers came up with that title. I but love it, that. And it took me a while to realise that that is what it's all about, is that, you know, what did she teach me? And she really did teach me to make the most of our one wild and precious life, you know, the Mary Oliver poem, because that is really what it is about, isn't it? And I've lost my brother, I've lost oh. my mum and my dad and Abby. And so I just feel like I'm on this, I have this real burning urge to do what I can in the short time that we have here, see what I can, do what I can, you know, help the people we can. And um, there's wow. no time for hanging around, hey? You could be the victim. You could be doing that victim thing. For sure, you've lost, like, so many people around you, close to you, like, and you're just doing the opposite of that. So many people become and that the is victim. about focusing your attention. I've got my wild and crazy sister who's just awesome and um, lives here. And, she um, keep you going. So, yeah, and her five amazing children. So, oh. her, you know, all over the world and doing great things. So you've yeah. just got to focus on all of that and, yeah, do what we can. And to wrap on that, because I love that, what is your one maybe word of advice for anyone that's like, you know, trying to pull them out of not being the victim of their, their grief and not letting it define them? That we can't control the circumstances of our lives, but we can, to a certain degree, control our response. And it is how you choose to act, think and be in those kind of micro moments of your life that make up your days. So, you know, have belief that you can get through this, have hope that you will find better days ahead because we have this incredible capacity for resilience within us that is so misunderstood and really underappreciated. I think people think that, that, you know, it's an elusive trait, but actually we are all hardwired to cope with all kinds of potentially traumatic events. You know, it's in your, resilience is in your DNA. You can do this. Wow. It's so true. You know what I'm just realizing right now at the end of our chat? You're, you're like the one of the first people that I've really spoken to that, and I'm not saying it's not helpful. It is really helpful for me, the whole like, you know, the spiritual side and how like, you know, we have more lives and, and we'll meet again in another life and that notion, which I do, I do think there is a place for and I do like to believe it. But you, you don't seem to do that at, at all. And you're just like, this is your one life you know, you can define the rest of your life and you're the only one who can control what's ahead. And that's really nice and refreshing because as much as I like to believe, you know, different kind of religions and not, I'm not one dot religious, but sometimes I'll be like, oh, but the Greeks believe this. And in this religion, they do this because, you know, life, life is just, you know, the body's a vessel and, you know, the souls are everywhere. Yeah. It's like, 
I know sometimes thinking about it's helpful, but it doesn't bring the person back. You can't hug them again. And sometimes it's just so important to actually face the facts of like, yeah. you, you just will not, you, we won't hug them again. Yeah, it's brutal, isn't they it? They won't sit with us on the couch and have a chat again and like, you, we just have to fucking make the most of this life that we've got ahead of us without them. Yeah, and the people who are still with us. Yeah, exactly. That is all you can do is love them, tell them you love them, love them more. Exactly. Notice them. And accept accept the good in them. Stop focusing on the crappy bitch. Tell the and people accept the good bitch. Tell the people around them you love them. Give them a hug. Life is fragile. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lucy. I have just absolutely loved this. You've really made my whole week month. Thank you.